So I'm not like posting pictures of Instagram of when it's 10 p.m. and I'm in this cement prison looking basement doing a podcast. My mom only sees when I'm on the beach or monkeys are climbing on my shoulder or I'm eating a big thing of gelato. So they only have like this rosy picture of what I'm doing. And to them, it looks like fun travel, which is a part of my life. But they don't see like all the other stuff that happens. So they just don't understand it. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 389. With an average of less than six hours of sleep per night, residents of Seoul, South Korea are tied as the most sleep-deprived people in the world with another major city. Take a guess at what that other major city is, and I'll let you know after the show. While Tortuga Backpack is great for any type of traveler, one of their main subsets of travelers that they serve are people who are location independent and digital nomads. And I know that because I'm good friends with a lot of people over at Tortuga and their entire staff is remote. So they know what it's like to travel, live and work all over the world to be able to have this type of lifestyle because all of them are doing it. And that's one of the reasons that I have carried my Tortuga backpack around the world as a digital nomad, as someone who's location independent for the last six years. They know exactly what you need, not just to put your clothes in as just a regular traveler, but also what you need if you are going to be working around the world, a great laptop sleeve in the back of their backpacks, extra padding, things like that. Those little extra touches that make it super special. So if you are someone who is location independent, who is a digital nomad, or you're trying to achieve that, make sure you head on over to tortugabackpacks.com slash epop. That's the only way to get 10% off. You have to go to tortugabackpacks.com slash epop. That will put a special coupon in at the very end when you check out. That'll give you 10% off. So say it with me. Remember, the new way to do it, tortugabackpacks.com slash epop. That'll get you 10% off anything you order. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who got a bachelor's degree in those very complimentary subjects of neuroscience and Korean language, who was once a hula hooping prodigy and who loves a well-timed pun more than most, Spencer Gench from HackersParadise.org. Spencer, thanks for joining me. A huge welcome. Hey, thank you. Happy to be here. And we have to set the scene in case in case there's noise in the background of where you are. We have to set the scene for all the listeners. You're in well, to me it looks like a prison because there's like concrete <laughs> walls behind. But you've you you have told me that it's not that bad. You're not gonna like blink twice, right, when you give answers or anything crazy. No, I have no special code to transmit to you through my body language, though behind me it does look like a prison. Um, I'm in a co-working space in the basement of a building in Seoul, Korea right now. It's actually 10 p.m. here. Um, And the rest of the place looks really nice, but I'm in a bit of a conference room that is not completely sealed off. I know I warned you and I will warn the listeners 
that if you hear some noise in the background, there's a bit of like a Korean quinceanera type party going out in the hallway outside. So if you hear some hooting and hollering, uh, that is the background noise that you hear. Yeah, do not fear for Spencer's safety. It's just a party. <laughs> it's nothing uh, nothing crazy. So awesome. And that's great. We love the ambient noise. People have Skyped in, I told you, from probably at this point, 100 different countries everywhere from like the middle of Sudan now to a basement in uh, Seoul, South Korea. So we'll just add that to the list. The first thing I want to get to, because the company that you are part of and the CEO of is Hacker Paradise. And this word hacker, it gets thrown around a lot. I know you said that you like it, or I read somewhere that you like it. I don't hate it, but I, I'm like on the fence. I'm always looking for a word that maybe fits in a little better or doesn't sound as, I, I don't know, the right, scammy. So convince me, the word hacker, why should I kind of embrace this idea? Yeah, so I have a love-hate relationship with the word hacker. Um, we originally named the company that at the beginning because it was a really tech-focused individual group. And so that made a lot of sense at the time. And the people who were the core demographic saw it and were really excited that it was like, oh, this is my group. This is what I want. Well, since then, we've expanded quite a bit. And it's not all computer nerds that are sitting in the basement somewhere, though I am here in that basement now. Back to your uh, roots. Back to my roots. But yeah, it's a lot of different people that come with us of a lot of different backgrounds. And so we've tried to revamp the word to focus more on the fact of like someone who is an expert in something or someone who breaks conventions because that's a lot of what we do here. It's a lot of people who kind of bucked the traditional work my whole life at home, get married, buy a house, follow like all the normal life plans until I'm 60 and then I retire and then I can travel and see the world. And a lot of our people have said, screw that. That's not what I want. I'm going to break normal conventions and instead do what I want to do, live my dream, see the world, do all that while working. Um, and so for us, that's kind of the the reclaimed meaning that we have for Hacker. Yeah, see, that's I love the idea behind it. I hate the connotation when someone doesn't get it or, or isn't part of that world, right? So for example, the term travel hacking gets thrown around a lot. And right. you know, we do a ton with miles and points, and that's how we started out. And I'd say it, but it would seem to someone from the outside like, okay, you're doing something illegal, right? Like, or, or right. even if it's not illegal, it's certainly maybe uncouth or like, hey, this is this is a really big gray area. And I'd say, no, 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 that's it's just a word. Like, this is legal. But I've spent eight years or nine years trying to come up with a better term, and I never have. So I kind of have embraced it begrudgingly. But I do like, hey, man, reclaim it, make it a little more, I guess. PC or like, hey, on the up and up. And I, I'm with you. The idea behind it is great, right? People yeah. doing unconventional things. We get some funny emails because of it. So I had my favorite is I got an email, oh man, probably like a year and a half ago where it was like someone begging for me to break, to hack into their school grade system and change their grade from like a C to a B minus or something. The funny thing is it wasn't even stretching too far. It's not like make all my grades an A. It was right. like, just is it one level? So like, whatever, I pass my class. And he had to, we had to write back and be like, I'm sorry, we're not those kind of hackers. And I don't even know what to tell you except like study a bit harder. Yeah. Or or shoot a little higher if you find a hacker. Don't you want an A? <laughs> like if you go through, if you've emailed a hundred people who you think are hackers, right. at least get the A. Yeah. And you should probably offer me more than $20 to break into your school system and change your grade. So 
maybe this guy deserved the C that he was getting. He didn't seem like he was really that creative in his solutions. Mm, gotcha. So when did you first believe that this life was a possibility? This this not nine to five, not wait till you're 60 to retire, don't need the white picket fence. Hey, you're going to do it as soon as you possibly can. And you are going to go on this journey. And maybe you don't know the end result, but that's the point. When When for you did that become not just a possibility, but actually reality yeah for me that was three years ago because i was very much on the other path where i was working for a big corporation climbing the corporate ladder i was at the time with my boyfriend talking about like moving in together and buying a house and we were kind of like planning our future and then lots of things changed what i wanted changed and i had heard about hacker paradise and like remote working and this type of thing. And it had just planted a bug in my ear of like, I really want to do that. But it just does. It's not for me right now because of all the other stuff going on. And then when other things started to crash and burn or change, and I decided I wanted something different, it just kept coming back to me. So that's when I first did this and came out and joined uh, hacker paradise. And it's when I came and was a remote worker really for the first time. And I told myself, this is going to be like a cheeky little three-month trip, and I'm going to see how it is and kind of live my life for a little bit and then go back and get an adult job, as my mom likes to refer to it still. I still have to fight and be like, mom, I'm a CEO of a company, but like, it's not a real job to her as I travel. So yeah, I thought I'll do this for a summer and go home. And then I came out on the road and realized a lot more about what this community is um, the people that are here are really inspiring and great and supportive. And so I was sold. And so I've been here for the last three years traveling um, with Hacker Paradise. I go home twice a year for like a week at a time each. But besides that, I'm out on the road. So you mentioned even before you left and took that what you thought would be three-month trip, it had already started kind of pulling at you. And you said, hey, I... I I thought I wanted something different even before everything crashed and burning. I'm not going to say forced you out because a lot of people have stuff crash and burn and they don't go, but kind of gave you that push. But even before that, you're like, hey, I might not want this. Where did that come from? Like even when stuff was going okay, you were still saying, oh man, there's the, there's a pull. There's something nagging at me. Everything looks good on paper, but I'm a little unsure like in your gut. Why? Did you know other people doing it? Was there, you know, had you found resources or was it just this innate, oh my gosh, I'm scared because this looks now like the rest of my life is planned out? Yeah, I didn't know anybody doing it, which I think is unusual. These days people are like, oh, I have a friend that does this and they got me started or whatever. But back then I didn't know every, anybody doing it. And so I just read some blog posts somewhere that talked about either going with a company like Hacker Paradise or house sitting or other options that could like take you around the world. And I just thought that's so cool. I had lived abroad uh, in different countries for quite a bit of time when I was growing up. So I lived in Korea for several years when I was younger and I lived in Canada for several years when I was doing my degree. And there was just something about that that was calling back to me. I really wanted to like move abroad and live abroad for a period of time and not just for a week on vacation. So that's kind of the impetus of where it was starting for me. Um, and then I just got really sick of like corporate life. So when I had started the company I was with, there was about 3,000 people at the company, which already now when I think of it is really big. 
But in the five years I'd been there, it had grown to over 10,000 people. And so I just felt like my sphere of influence there was decreasing. And I just didn't like the red tape and the bureaucracy and all that. So I said, here, I need to try something different. This some, seems like a small company and something that could have like impact on people and really line up with my skill set. So I packed my bags and came out on the road. Why were you in South Korea as a kid? Was that because your parents had moved there or was that something you did as an exchange student? No, I was 19 and I came here as a Mormon missionary for two years. Okay. So that's where I learned to speak the language. I learned a lot about the culture. Uh, and then I went back and finished my degree. And like you said, did a double major in Korean and then uh, neuroscience, which have nothing to do with each other. When I read so that. I just, <laughs> okay. I did, I did. Here you go. I did a study about when you listen to different languages, what different parts of your brain are activated on whether it's your first language or second language or third language. So I did combine them in some weird way that doesn't have any practical application for anybody, but I tried my best. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, you're the only you're probably the only human who combined Korean and neuroscience there to to come up with some sort of thesis or 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 paper. So you yep. mentioned that you had gone to Korea but now your parents, well, I don't know, are they, are they against you traveling or do they just not see that this is like a real life, like, as you mentioned, adult thing? What is it that maybe is the, the push for them to say, hey, Spencer, like, all right, you know, they just keep thinking, well, he's going to come back eventually and then he's going to get this regular job. What do you think it is in their mind that like the disconnect there? They just don't understand it. It's not that they don't like it. But I think for a lot of people in uh, like my parents' generation, if your butt's not in the seat, you're not working. Or like if I can't see the whites of your eyes, you're not here working. There's that concept that they were raised with. And so they don't understand how I'm in one country and my team's in another country and the group I'm running is in another country, but it's all working. Like that just doesn't make sense to them. I think also like social media portrays only what you want it to portray. So I'm not like posting pictures of Instagram of when it's 10 p.m. and I'm in this cement prison looking basement doing a podcast. My mom only sees when I'm on the beach or monkeys are climbing on my shoulder or I'm eating a big thing of gelato. So they only have like this rosy picture of what I'm doing. And to them, it looks like fun travel, which is a part of my life. But they don't see like all the other stuff that happens. So they just don't understand it. It's also hard a lot of times, if people don't understand remote work, to explain the concept to them, and it takes them a while to kind of catch on and realize what it is. Lots of people, I think, believe that people doing this lifestyle are young millennials who are like on a gap year or entitled in some way. And there's people like that out here, I'm sure. But most of the people that I meet, especially the people that I meet through Hacker Paradise, are really dedicated people who have careers they care about and are passionate about things and are just choosing to live their life in an unconventional way. Yeah, I think one of the biggest misconceptions that we always hear as well when we do stuff with like Location Indian and we kind of keep trying to push this message of location independence is that the work is always secondary and it's kind of just like, oh, well, they're working just to keep traveling or just to scrape by or make enough to continue this. But eventually, you know, they're going to get to an age where then they have to come home to get a real job to get in retirement. And I keep saying to people, 
Listen, in the beginning, it is a lot of scraping by, and and maybe it is more that I want to travel, so I'm going to make, you know, I I can do it on less if I'm traveling to certain areas, so it can work. But I think for a lot of people, you know, it seems like you and, and myself included, you get to a point where you're like, well, I don't just want to keep scraping by just to travel. I want to build something that has a lot more possibilities than even a job back home and can make me more and I can have more impact. And so I, I feel like that's the next big misconception to try to break. I think some people, or at least more people, are understanding that you can travel and live. But now I want people to understand, hey, you can travel and work, but your work doesn't just have to be minimal work. It can be something really big and really huge and you know, world-changing, whatever, or it have a huge impact. And that doesn't mean that it has to then end. And we're, you know, I still think people think that this group is going to come back and get a regular job eventually. They're just stretching it longer than they they believe. Yeah, they, there's this concept of like everyone who's traveling is just scraping by and like burning through their savings and just waiting to their savings ends and then they'll come home. And there's a lot of people that are traveling and thriving who are saving money, who have businesses that they're growing that are that are booming and all that sort of stuff. And they don't those types of people don't get enough of like the press coverage, I guess. Um, But yeah, those people are out there. There's also a lot of misconceptions about like what it is to work remotely or what it is to be like a digital nomad or whatever term you want to use to describe like the traveling remote working force. And there's lots of different flavors. There's people that come with us that have a home base and live at home for six months a year and then travel with us for six months a year. There's some people that are on the road the full time. There's some people that only get permission to work remotely for one month a year and they'll come with us for one month. So like there's so many different flavors of remote workers around the world. It's not just all people who are young and single and don't have kids and have this job that's scraping by. We have families come with us. We have people that are married come with us. We have people in their 60s come with us. There's just all sorts of people who've just decided, this is what I want and I'm going to go for it. Yeah, I, I love that there's not a one-size-fits-all. And I do think that the portrayal or at least the mis- the conception for the mass the masses, and that is the masses that even understand digital work, right, is this, oh, they're 21 to 28, left a corporate job because they're fed up after two years. Now they're traveling. Yeah, they're single, this and that. They're going to party all the time. And I just look around our community. And, and as you mentioned, you look around your community and you're like, this is that is a, this group. Yeah. Like yeah. that is the minority, right? There, you know, yeah. there's all ages, all ranges, professionals, people freelancing, people starting their own companies. You know, like you said, some people with savings so they don't have to do as much. It really can run the gamut. And especially when you're doing stuff, and, and we'll get into this a little bit, in areas that are cheaper, you can pull in anyone with almost in in almost any income band at that point if you're doing stuff in thailand in i know you guys have a trip to serbia like these kind of spots where you know 1500 bucks is gonna go a lot longer than it would in canada in the u.s anywhere in like a a western country yeah lots of people will like write me questions whether it's friends I have or like strangers I don't know will just like look at my instagram and message me and their question is always like how do you have the money to travel. And the thing that I want to say back to them, but I try not to because it sounds really conceited, but is like, how do you have the money not to travel? Because for me, 
when I lived in Wisconsin, which was at Madison, Wisconsin, it's not a huge town. It is not somewhere that has a high cost of living, but still I was paying 1200 US dollars a month for my one bedroom apartment. And there's all these costs of having a car and everything. Every place that I have lived around the world in the last three years, I have never paid that much for rent. Lots of places I have paid one third of that amount of rent for a month. So like traveling around the world, depending on where you're going, can save you a lot of money. And I don't think people realize that. They think, oh, you're traveling, that's so expensive because they're used to traveling in the way that they've gone on vacation and not long-term living, which can be pretty cheap and a lot more cost-effective than most cities in the U.S. or Canada or these other countries that people are coming from a lot of the times. Yeah, let's dive into that a little bit. What does your travel schedule look like? Because again, I, I think the word travel is a bit misleading because people assume it means picking up and moving every couple days or every week and staying in hotels and you're spending $300 a night and your plane ticket was a thousand bucks. You know, this idea of a vacation. And we right. know that travel can be much longer term. It can be home basing a bit in a certain area. So walk us a little bit maybe through your three-year journey. And it doesn't have to be every single step, but it seems to me like you said, all right, I'm going to bunk down a little bit because that's going to cut down my cost. Plus, it's going to give you, and, and we both know, a little bit more stability when it comes to, to working and, and knowing that you can push things forward versus kind of that idea of scraping by and just moving on to the next picture on Instagram. Yeah. For me, my strategy has always been to try some, stay somewhere for at least a month or longer and for uh, several different reasons. One, that's financially way more effective because you can book an Airbnb or a room in an Airbnb for a pretty good rate if you stay for a month. Um, because then the host doesn't have to check people out every other day and they're happy to give you a discount. Um, for me, it also helps me establish routine and habits of like going to a co-working space instead of working from home or working from a cafe. I like to have a co-working space where I have solid Wi-Fi, even though the prison walls can sometimes be a bit much like where I am now. <laughs> um, but yeah, it helps me settle routine. So I'll join a gym and I'll start to make some local friends and things if I'm there for a month or three months. Um, for me also, it just helps me really enjoy the location. I feel like less of a tourist and more of someone that lives there. So I'll have my favorite coffee shop down the street and I'll get to know the people that run it and they know my name and they know my order and it gives you the sense of stability and being part of a community where if you're just bouncing places every three days, you don't get any of those pieces. So for me, in terms of like long-term sustainability of traveling and being on the road, it was really important to have those different pieces or else you jump into places or you have situations where people really get burned out really fast. The other piece that people talk about a lot about burnout and being on the road is loneliness. Because if you're traveling a lot, you're usually removed from your normal social structure, and so you get lonely. So lots of people really like a program like Hacker Paradise because you have a community that's with you all the time, and so you meet really cool, awesome people, and you travel with them month to month to month to different locations. Um, for me, whether I'm with Hacker Paradise or traveling on my own, I make sure that I set up some sort of a social network because... For me, if I'm like alone and really alone for like five days, I start talking to the walls. I'll talk to cats. Like it just doesn't work for me. I have to build a social structure or I crumble. I, I'm with you on that. I think it can be 
very interesting to solo travel. And I've done only a little bit of it because my wife and I have traveled together for, for years. But I think it can be very, uh, it can be a growing experience and it can really, really force you out of your comfort zone, especially if you're someone like like you or me, where you, you're used to being around people, you want to be around people, you are an extrovert, that gives you energy. But then traveling alone can can force you to do some things and, and put you in situations where you might not find yourself otherwise. But yeah. but there is a point, and it, yeah, it's like a, a couple days for me where I'm like, okay, I need that interaction, yep. and it doesn't just have to be some random person on the street over and over again. That That's fine, but now I'm getting known as like the town crazy because it's this white dude talking to any human that walks by, <laughs> right? You know, right. so um, I'm with you. That, that kind of community feel is super important. So for you guys... And, well, for you specifically, how far in advance are you planning your travel? Like, do you have destinations picked out and your year scheduled, or is it a little more fly by the seat of your pants? I usually have anchors. So they'll be like, hey, I know in April I have this wedding here that I have to be to. And I know that I'm going to be with Hacker Paradise in Seoul in May because this is one of the trips I help run. So there'll be like a couple anchors that I have. And then for me, it is filling in the blanks of where I want to go. I made some mistakes my first year where I thought, okay, I've never been to London. And everyone says great things about London. So I'm going to plan a month in London. So I went to London for a month, didn't know anybody, was kind of far outside of the town. Uh, I was like sick while I was there. It was pretty miserable while I was there. And I did not have a good time, even though I thought London was supposed to be one of the coolest cities to go visit. And I've learned that for me, when I plan travel, it's really important to plan time with people that I care about and people that I love. So now instead of saying, Ooh, I love London, I want to go to London, I call up some of my best friends who also travel, I say, where are you going over the summer? Let's find a month of that time that we'll be together. And then great, we're going to be this year, I'm going to Toulouse and then a road trip back to Serbia with a group of these people. Um, and I don't care about Toulouse. I don't know anything about Toulouse. I don't know much about the road trip to Serbia. That's not the important part to me. The important part is the people that I'm deciding to spend my time with more than the location that I'm choosing to go. What have been some of the locations, though, that you have really enjoyed and that you maybe see yourself returning to? So someone called you up and said, hey, Spencer, like we've got a month. You pick a place because you've been a few. And where would you say, all right, yeah, this is where we're going to go. I'm going to show you around. This feels a little like home to me and something that you'd love to almost show off. Because we just did this with my parents through Croatia and into Bosnia. We've been there a few mm. times. They had never been. It was cool. You know, half new stuff for us, but half showing off the things that we like. And it's it's neat to play tour guide while experiencing it through their eyes a bit as well. Yeah. Um, this year I'm returning to a lot of places uh, because they're places that I love and I have a social structure and they're places that I am going to continue to go back to. So I really love Tel Aviv. I went there for the first time this year and then I actually am going back there in a couple weeks. I'm going to spend my 35th birthday there and spend a month there. And I just love everything about Tel Aviv except for the price tag. I was going to say, that's, that's the only thing, right? I mean, yeah. It's one of the places that is not cheaper than where I used to live. No. And it's not just like, lots of places you go, it might be like, oh, housing's cheap. Housing is expensive, but food's cheap. Or food is expensive, but housing's cheap. Everything in Tel Aviv is expensive. 
but everything there is great and i'm really excited to go back and spend some more time there um and it's somewhere that i think i'll continue to visit i just have to balance it with some of the other more cost effective places that i go i can't afford to live in tel aviv for two years um, i also really find myself being pulled back to brazil so i've spent a bunch of time in rio and then also the island of florianopolis and i really enjoy both of those a lot of it is the same reason that I like Tel Aviv. I find that I'm really drawn to places where I find that the people and the culture is really warm and open and friendly. I find that the stereotype of like Brazilians just being happy and like dancing on the street is pretty applicable and pretty true. They're just a happy, warm, friendly people. And I really, really like that. It doesn't hurt that there's a beach either. I love a beach. I can spend all day on a beach. So like Tel Aviv and the beaches of Brazil are just my favorite thing to do when I'm at those places. So I'll definitely spend a lot of time going back to Brazil, Tel Aviv, and then kind of pop around to new places to sprinkle in between those, I think. Where new are you most excited about? Or where is at least on your radar of, all right, I haven't been here, but this is getting me pretty jazzed up. Yeah, so we're taking a Hacker Paradise group to Serbia later this year. We're going to Belgrade, which I've never been to, though uh, one of my really good friends now lives there and has been telling me to come for years because it's great. Um, I The places that I've been in Eastern Europe, I really, really love in Eastern Europe and the Balkans. And I think there are undiscovered gems. Most people, when they think of going to have a European summer, they think of London and Paris and Rome. And those are great cities. But I really, really like the Balkans in Eastern Europe. It's a lot of people that are nice. It's not overrun with tourists. It's usually easy, easier on your pocketbook. It's like cultures that are a little bit different than what you're used to and so can be really unique in that way. Apparently in Serbia, have you been to Serbia? To I, have not, I have not been to Belgrade. I, I've been around the Balkans a bit and I'm with you in, in my love for that region and, and Eastern Europe as a whole. Um, but I've heard very good things about Belgrade and I spent a little bit of time in Zagreb just the last month. And I, get, I mean, I guess it's somewhat similar, like just very coffee culture, hangout, chill, not a huge, huge city. And uh, a lot neater than most people would give it credit for because we all, at least our age, both of us, right, 35, 36, I, I still almost am surprised that the war happened, I mean, we're talking 30 years ago, 25 years ago, right? right. Like That's the impression that's in a lot of people's heads is the Yugoslavian war. And so it's like, why would I go there? It's still war-torn. People listening to the podcast, that is not how it is. You should go. It's awesome. Yeah, it's been 25 years, despite yeah. what like our 10-year-old brain is telling us. Like we've we've gotten quite a bit older, my friend, and uh yeah, it was yeah. A, it was a while ago. So I've not been to Belgrade, but but excited to try that out at some point too. We're going in August. Come and join us. We'll, well be there for two weeks. <laughs> I would, except I have a baby due August 12th, so uh that might, mm. I I'm still trying to talk Heather into uh What's the best place to have a baby for for their nationality? So there you go. But she's pretty keen on doing it in the U.S. I can't. I guess I. I guess she wins that argument, right? Serbia is probably not too high on the list of like passport power. Right. Um, though you never you never know. I guess it depends on what your goals are. That's true. So how do you guys then with remote um, with Hacker Paradise decide where to go? Like, is th these must be planned 
obviously a bit in advance because people are signing up and you're getting accommodations and figuring out the logistics. Is it similar spots? Do you go back to places or are you kind of always pushing new trips? Because I noticed you have qu- quite a few of them, like it, some even going simultaneously. We do. Yeah. it's uh, So we have two trips that are running pretty much at all times throughout the year. And most trips are between a month and two months. They kind of match my personal travel style of how long I want to stay somewhere. Um, and people ask us a lot how we put together our itinerary. It's like part art, part science. So there's a bit of like, okay, we have data because we've been places. So let's go back to places that our community really likes and we have a good experience there. And um, like we know that it makes sense for us in terms of profitability and this time of year makes sense. So there's kind of like data that we have that we look at. And then there's lots of other pieces we look at about like how well do we think the program will be when it's there? Is it a place that we're tapping into like an inherent desire that people want to go to this location anyway and have been looking for an excuse? Or is this a location that maybe people are intimidated to go to alone and they'd really like to go with a group. So we have a bunch of different factors we weigh. We usually throw a bunch of things on a table and then we argue about it and like pull straws and roll dice and try to figure out what makes the best assortment of places we go. And then a lot of times we'll even ask our community. Our alumni community is about 700 people big these days. And so there's times we'll send out a poll or ask their opinion. And they'll help us decide. They'll say, like, we think that this place would be the coolest or we'd be interested to go to this place. And so we let them have a say as well as where we go in our itinerary. And then how many people are usually on each trip? Is there a cap or or is like, is there a minimum and is there a cap and anything in between is cool? Or is there, have you found this sweet spot of this is the best for logistics but it also is the best for community. Everyone knows each other. It's not too big. It's not too small. Yeah. So the biggest we've ever had on my trip was 42 at one time. And that was pretty big for us because at the time we have two facilitators that are full-time running trips. Um, But just with the logistics you have to deal with, and we do a lot of programming that's like professional development and fun stuff and social stuff that we plan. And doing that for a group of 42 was a lot of work. So uh, we set our cap on 40 per trip. Uh, most of our trips these days are much smaller than that. We find that like a group of 20 is a pretty good size because then you're not eating dinner with the same two people every day, um, but you're also not lost in a crowd of 60 or 70 people. The thing that people say about our trips is they love the size and they love the community. You, in the first week or two, are able to build a personal relationship with every single person in the group. And everyone talks about how you build relationships really fast. So after spending a month with these people, you feel like they're your best friends and that you've known them for years and it's hard to imagine life without them. Um, A lot of people uh, talk about how you bond really quickly because you're socially desperate. So you don't know other people in the country. You don't have other things to do. It's not like home where you see your friends maybe once a week because the other days you're at gym, you go to grandma's birthday party, you have like a work meeting. You don't have any of that here. So you find that every day you're living, working, and hanging out with this really cool group of people. And so you bond and grow close really, really quickly. Sometimes in that regard of like meeting people quickly, it almost feels to me like freshman year of college where you didn't know anyone else at college. And so you bonded with the people there super quickly. And you don't stop to think about it very much. But as adults, it's really hard to make 
good friends and to meet new people. We're just not in those circles. Everyone has other lives and other priorities. And so people always comment about how when they come out to join us, they feel like they've made this huge group of friends and it's maybe more friends than they've made in the last three years of normal life. Yeah, we use the term that that we kind of coined when we had our location in the, we, we do like local meetups and we did one in New York and it was funny because none of us had known each other. You know, we chatted online through the forum and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden we sit down and it's like within a minute, you're two minutes, you're telling people stuff that might take hours or days or weeks in quote unquote normal <laughs> life because you don't have right. to explain yourself. You don't have to explain what you're trying to do. You don't have to talk to them about what location dependence is or why you want this life. Everyone gets it. And so we just say it's like Instabond. We're like, this is Instabond because you're not explaining yourself. The moment you sit down and be like, hey, I'm trying to build this company that does this, this, and this, someone isn't like, oh, that's weird, or or why do you think it's going to work? Instead, they're like, that's amazing. And you know they start riffing on ideas. And I, I'm sure that Hacker Paradise is the exact same way because you're inherently interested in the other people because they're all shooting for a common goal. Even if we're going at it in, in completely different ways and running different companies, it's, hey, you're trying to do something really neat because you want to have a better life, like you're excited about life, you're curious, so am I. And then all of a sudden, you're, yeah, you're five minutes in and you're like, whoa, how did I not know this person before? Yeah, it's hard to imagine like life without the people that I travel with and know with, uh, know through Hacker Paradise these days. But yeah, if you talk to anyone who's been on the road and like tried to do like online dating or in-person dating while you're traveling, I mean, it's just so hard to get past the question of what do you do because nobody understands it, especially if you're in countries or cultures where remote working is even less common than it might be like where I'm from in the States. And so people just don't get it. They're so confused. And people will be like, Are you, everyone thinks I'm like a celebrity or I'm some sort of like really uh, rich trust fund baby or something. Because like in their heads, there's no way that you could be living this lifestyle while working. They just don't get it. And so, yeah, when you find people like in Hacker Paradise or in your meetup groups or other people who understand a baseline of what you're doing, it's so refreshing that you can just jump past that and actually talk about normal life stuff. Yeah, it's a relief, right? You're bonding because you're both relieved that you don't have to spend hours explaining it to it to someone who probably won't even get it after after the hours you've spent doing that. Right. So what do you see then as some of the professions that come through Hacker Paradise? Like, Is there maybe an avatar of you saying, all right, these are... Uh, you mentioned in the beginning it was the name came from people being techie and and doing that kind of stuff, but now it's kind of expanded out. Do you see a, a group of professions that it works for more, that it's geared towards more? So we still do see a lot of people come through tech companies, though they're not necessarily only the engineers. Um, I feel like Tech companies in general have the most liberal and advanced working remote policies like across the industry. So we'll have people that come from tech companies who could be an engineer, they could be in marketing, they could be in HR, they could be in any of these other fields that just work for a tech company and work remotely. We also see a lot of different types of creative people that come and join us, which is not what a lot of people think of like jobs that you can have remotely. But we have a lot of graphic designers, there's a lot of people that do writing that come and join us. Um, we have a lot of people that come with us that are in transition. So 
they'll have been working for a company for the last eight years and always had this side project that they want to make happen. And so they finally quit their job and they're spending the next six months like working on their side project or building up their business plan to make their next thing happen. And from their opinion, it's like, why do I need to stay in Kansas to make this happen? I can be on the beaches of Thailand where I'm working on my business plan. There's also like so many unconventional people that come with us that even when uh, I chat with them before they come out, I'm always shocked at like some of the careers people have. So we've had people that do real estate that come and join us. And you would think to be a real estate agent, you need to be there to physically show houses to people and sign contracts and all of those things that you think need to be done in person. But she had manufactured her company in a way that she was in charge of all the high level stuff and the introductions and talking to people and figuring out what they need and then finding houses for them. And then she had an assistant back home who would do the physical walkthroughs with them. And so she was traveling for years, even though it's one of those jobs that you think is technically you have to be present for. So it's really interesting to see that even though the scope of what types of jobs were available for remote working was pretty narrow years ago, now it just feels like if you really want to do it, you can find a way to do it. Yeah, one of the neat things that you guys do at Hacker Paradise is the fact that you're handling some of the logistics that might scare people off from doing it. And I, so you talked about you have the community side, and that's a huge benefit of, of going with Hacker Paradise versus just saying, oh, I'm going to go off on travel. And, and as you mentioned, like sometimes you go off on travel on your own too. Like there's, there's positives and negatives to, to doing a group thing versus being on your own. But I think a lot of people in the beginning, especially, are like, I want that community feeling. And, how am I going to find an apartment in Belgrade? Yeah, I could go on Airbnb, but I know I'm going to get ripped off because, of course, it's you know you're working on a platform that's geared towards Westerners and this and that. So, w- talk us through a little bit about that, like why someone would go through Hacker Paradise if they are in a situation like you mentioned, where they're maybe trying to figure it out, and maybe this is their their first foray into this lifestyle, first big foray into this lifestyle. What are some of the benefits that you guys provide that they wouldn't get if it was just them striking out on their own? Yeah, that's a good question. And that's what a lot of people ask us. Like, what's the real value I'm getting out of Hacker Paradise versus going on my own? And I think the two big things are community, uh, which we've talked about a bit already, and then also the logistic pieces. So besides the piece that we've talked about already with community, one of the nice things if you're first coming out on the road and you're new to remote working is now you're enveloped with warm arms into a group that's experienced with remote working. So there's a lot of skills that people can teach you about how to manage your schedule, how to talk to your clients, what types of apps and technology to use, um, strategies for not burning out on the road while you're working remotely. There's a lot of that stuff that the community will just offer up to you as advice and help you, especially if it's your first time doing this sort of thing. In terms of logistics, we take care of all the stuff with housing, co-working space, providing you with a SIM card, planning activities. Um, We have facilitators on the ground that handle problems as they arise. So the idea is you sign up and come with us. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. You just get a plane ticket, get a visa if you need, and you show up. We do a full orientation. We introduce you to everybody. We take care of all of that stuff so you can focus on actually making the transition to working remotely, as well as enjoying the place where you are. There are some people who've traveled on their own for a year 
who then decide to come with us. And I say, you've done this on your own many times. Like, why do you want to come with us? And they say community. That's usually the first thing they say. But then the second thing they'll say is, I'm sick of handling logistics. I find that I'm spending all my weekends planning my next place and like trying to find an Airbnb instead of enjoying the place where I am. And then I'll get there and the Wi-Fi doesn't work or I'll get there and it's not like, and then I have to spend more time and I'm canceling my work meetings and just not getting shit done because I'm too busy handling all this logistical stuff where this is what we do professionally. So like we're really good at poking through holes when we're looking at different housing and make sure it hits all the right criteria so that when people show up, it's solid and it you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, I know for me, that would be the huge value add. Like you'd have the community aspect, which is which is great. And, and that would be part of it. But it would be even as someone who's been location independent for eight years now, there's something nice about saying, hey, I'm just going to show up. And it's going to be a month or two months, and I'm not going to worry about it. And yeah, I'll pay a little extra than if I did all this work on my own, but I don't care because I'm getting you know hours back or, or possibly days back of my life that I can just show up, boom, okay, I got to get this done, and I don't have to worry about any of, as you mentioned, the logistics, which I think is a, a neat part of it because I do like handling logis- the logistics at times, and it is fun sometimes. That doesn't mean all the time I want to do it, especially somewhere new. Like if I was going somewhere new like Belgrade, I'd be like, oh, this is cool. Like I don't have to spend a day researching. Let me go and research on the ground because I know my basics are covered when with Hacker Paradise. Yeah, I was talking to someone just the other day who was like, well, maybe I'll just get my own apartment. And here's like an example of an apartment I can get. It's cheaper than paying for the Hacker Paradise fee. And she sent me this place. And I said, that apartment looks really nice. What you don't know because you've never been there is that's the street where all the prostitutes hang out. Like they'll, they'll hang out right in front of your place. And she's like, oh, how was I supposed to know that? And I'm like, I, do, I don't know. I, that's hard to know unless you've been there or you know the place. And like there's some value in going with people who have been there before and know the location. And sometimes booking a place and handling the logistics is more complex than just finding somewhere that has nice looking pictures on Airbnb. So you guys then with the apartments, if someone comes through Hacker Paradise, so if I was like, oh, I'm going to go to Belgrade, I'm going to go on this trip. And unfortunately, I won't because I'll have a kid. But but if I was, what does it look like for me? Am I getting an apartment? Am I get, Are you, you guys rent out big houses and you have a room in a house? What is, I'm sure it's different in different situations, but what do you find to be more the norm? Yeah, it is different in different situations because different cities have different offerings. Generally, what we try to go for is apartment style because we're staying there for a month or two months. Having a kitchen and a living room and living space helps people feel like they're comfortable and they can settle in. A lot of times that might be like a two or three bedroom apartment. So you would have your own bedroom, but you would share with other Hacker Paradise people. But then there's usually an option if it's really important to you to upgrade so you could have your own place or your own in-suite bathroom or something like that because me I don't care but for some people that's like a make or break it for them like I'm not going on this program unless I can have my own in-suite bathroom please let us know we'll try to take care of it for you so there's a lot of different flavors but generally it's apartment style and then with that you you handle the apartments and you handle the accommodations and then obviously the co-working space as well. What I thought was pretty interesting on the site is you can pick the amount of time too. So like you have 
Talk, talk about that because I, I saw that and I'm like, how does this work on their end? Because there's like a one month, a two month, a three month option. But what if like everyone chooses a one month and then you're just there for two months with no one else? How how do you finagle that and work out that situation with the timing? Yeah, so we're magicians on our side. That's the only way to make it all happen. Um, but we we figure this is your life, your way, you're already bucking conventions to come with us. So you should have the flexibility to pop in and out of the program and do it a bit the way that you like. So we don't have like uh, other programs similar to us. We don't have like a year requirement or a five month requirement that you're stuck in an itinerary where maybe you care about two of those cities, but not the other four. Um, for us, you can pick and say, okay, I want to come for a month here and then I'm going to travel on my own for a while and then I'm going to come for a month here and then go on my own and then come for two months later and we'll still give you the long-term discount for coming in four months. A lot of our alumni, uh, so like of people that come on our trips, about 75% choose to come back to us because they really like the program, they love it and so they will kind of map out. I want to come here and then I'll travel with you guys for three months and then I'm going to go on my own and come back. So there's a lot of flexibility on the customer side to be able to do what you want to do when you come with us. On our side, our job is to make sure that one, we have a program that people love and a community that people love. So you want to come back and you want to stay with us. That's the number one praise we get is when people come back. It's how we like to run things around here. Um, so we try to provide a program that's cool for everybody. And then on the back end, we do what we can to try to make logistics work so that we don't have 20 people one month and then five the next month. Also that we don't have a bunch of apartments that are empty. So we do some of our magician skills and, and do more marketing and do whatever we can to try to fill it in with quality people who everybody is going to love to have part of the group. Yeah, I love travel and I love logistics and I love being around people, but that sounds like a headache, man. That cannot, I'm, I mean, I'm sure <laughs> sometimes it works out and all the pieces fall in place and you think, yeah, I got this. And I'm sure there's other times where you're like, what am I doing? What That's am I now. doing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have added the title of Excel artist to my resume since being here because there is some crazy spreadsheet work that we do that makes what looks impossible turn into something that actually works out pretty well. Yeah. Now, do you burn out at all? Because I know you're not on all the trips and, and we've talked, you're an extrovert, you like being around people, me too. But do you feel since you are the leader of this, or, or maybe you're not, maybe you've figured out a way to kind of put yourself on the side and say, I'm just some I'm a member, like I'm just here with you all. Because I feel that could be tough too for you to get work done when everyone's looking to you if you're on this trip and saying like, Spencer, you know, I have this issue or toilets clogged. And then you, you know, like you're putting out fires all the time or have you figured out a way to just be a part of it without having to run it necessarily? Cause that could be really difficult and could lead to not being very fun if we're honest. Yeah. I, you do get really tired of people like messaging you at three and three AM being like, hi, I'm out of toilet paper. Like, can you fix this for me? And I'm like, this is not a critical issue. Please don't message me at three AM. So when I first joined, there was two of us running it, and that was total. We were facilitators, we were doing everything behind the scenes, and that's how it was for about uh, a year and a half. And then we have scaled since then. There's now about twelve people working for the company. 
Um, so as we've grown, I've taken more of a backseat role. There's facilitators who are doing that full time and I am not a full time facilitator anymore. I do a lot more behind the scenes or high level stuff. I still pop in and out of trips. I come to the Korea trip because I lived here. I speak Korean. I teach everyone Korean while we're here. Like this is a unique trip that makes sense for me to be on. So I come to this one and I don't run it. Uh, the facility, there's still two facilitators here running it. I play more of like a local expert type of role here. Um, I went to the Brazil trip this year because it's one of my favorite places we went. Again, I wasn't a facilitator. I'm just a member of the community. And so if people come to me with things about the trip, I say, that's great. I'm happy to help you. But that person's going to be able to help you better because they're actually the one that knows what's going on when I don't. So these days I pop in and out about 50% of the time I'm with the group in some regard and 50% of the time I'm on my own. And for me, that's like a pretty good balance. Do you have anyone who has been with Hacker Paradise? Like, do you have someone that you know, like, this is the longest, like they've traveled consecutively with Hacker Paradise for two years, or is it or is it a lot of, it sounds like a lot of popping in and out, but are there those few that just, they'll go on anything like that's their life now? Yeah, we have had several people. There was, for a year, we had a group of people. There was about six or seven of them that were really close. They all met when they come on the trip. They became really close. And so they all just stayed with us for almost a year, this core group of people. And it was really, really hard when they left because me, I was just used to having them around the whole time. And then these core nine people that had been with us or eight people, whatever it was, all left and we were like, this is my family that I'm used to traveling with and now they're gone. Most of our people pop in and out. I think the most the most trips anyone has been on is me. I've been on 20, this is my 20th trip, which is a lot. Some of them have been three months long, so some of them have been long trips. Um, and I think there's another participant I was talking to who is on her 11th or 12th trip right now. And she is married has a home back that she pops back into and then like spends months with us and months at home and so she manages to do both but just really loves the program really loves us and keeps coming back i love to hear just a few examples of unique situations like that like she's married she she leaves she comes back you know because we did we said in abstract ways yeah you can be any age any profession but is there can you put like just a few examples out there of people who you wouldn't consider being fits for this or other people wouldn't consider being fits for this either age or or life situation but you said no this works for them and they're not the 28 year old millennial who runs a tech startup you know that we normally maybe attribute to someone who would come to uh, hacker paradise yeah um so we have had families come with us we've had people bring their two children before the children were eight and nine and came with us and actually we do a professional program where people present and talks and give workshops every week and we actually had the nine-year-old give a talk one week because she was learning programming so she she showed us all how she had programmed her own uh, flappy bird program in like scratch or something and it was fascinating. And so many of us walked away being like, I have fulfilled and done nothing in my life when this nine-year-old is doing so much more than I am. So there's like families like that that will come with us. The youngest person we had come once was 17. He just graduated from high school and decided he wanted to come and do something different than all of his friends who were coming to college. And he was starting an online business. 
And um, he was the most mature person in the entire group. And it was really interesting to just see because I think everyone was expecting him to be uh, a little kid. And he wasn't. And he taught us so much about different things and, and life uh, when he was out there. We've had people who have met uh, while they've been on Hacker Paradise and got married and now have a baby. Okay, so cool. We You've have, made it. You've made it now when that happens. I um, I like to say the tagline I like to say is we're more successful than The Bachelor because we've been doing this. I've been doing this for three years, and I think we have three wedding successful like marriages and one of them they now have a child and i'm pretty sure the bachelor stats aren't that high though bachelor nation might come after me please don't send me hateful tweets if my numbers are wrong but yeah we just have a lot of different people that come with us people who are from mongolia and it's their first time like leaving and their parents are super worried because in mongolia working remotely and having their single 25-year-old daughter leave the house is not something they're used to. So there's just people from all different uh, walks of life uh, that come and join us. And one of the things that I found most surprising and fulfilling is that when you go to Korea, you think, great, I'm going to go to Korea. I'm going to meet a lot of Koreans and like make Korean friends. And you, that's part of it. But you also meet so many people inside the group of Hacker Paradise or whatever group you might be with that are people from all over the world. So when I went to Portugal, I made two really good friends who are from Croatia and they're who I road trip with now. And I never would have thought that going to Portugal, I was gonna make two best friends who are from Croatia. But you join these groups and go to different parts of the world and you don't just learn and meet people from that location, but you meet people from everywhere. And I don't think people realize that either. That is a great point because I know one of the reasons Heather and I decided to teach in Japan wasn't because we were in love with Japan. We actually didn't know much about it before we went. It's because we said anyone else who's coming from Australia, New Zealand, the UK, you know, any English speaking country and going on this program is probably going to be pretty cool or, you know, half will be, half won't be, whatever. We got 5,000 people to pick from here. Um, and, you know, we knew we were going to make these relationships. Now, how close we got with them, we, we couldn't have like imagined that they're some of our best friends but case in point in two weeks we're going and we're flying to victoria bc which i know uh you have a soft spot for i think um and we're going to be meeting our friends from the uk who are teaching with us in in uh japan we're going to be meeting our canadian friends who are teaching with us in japan and so these are our people now these are like we make efforts to go and travel to see them and so it opens up the world of travel for you also because you're going and visiting other people's hometowns that you maybe never would have gone to and you certainly didn't expect to meet them you just expected like you said to maybe meet locals now all of a sudden you have a scope of you know a hundred countries that you could pop into maybe not a hundred but you could pop in and say i know someone here how cool is this and it just expands 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 so i love that i it was a point that i didn't think about when we were talking about the people coming on the trip, but it's so true. You're meeting people from all over the world, not just where you're actually going. Yeah. One of the big things people love about coming to Hacker Paradise is after you've been on a trip, you not only know the people that you traveled with, but you're added to our alumni community, which is 700 people and spread out all around the world. And it's super collaborative. People will um, message and they'll find people to start companies with. They'll get free advice from people. They'll find jobs for each other. And the thing that is really kind of cool is they'll do couch surfing and travel together. 
So you'll see people say, hey, I'm going to be in Budapest this month. Is anyone else going to be around? And six people who they've never met before will all message and say, hey, we're going to be in town. Let's hang out. They'll have like a little Hacker Paradise meetup of people, again, they've never met, but they all know me. And so even if there's like no conversation to be made, they can all talk about like silly stories about me, if nothing else. But there's just kind of this bond, like you've been on Hacker Paradise, I've been on Hacker Paradise, we're part of this community. So like, I'm going to help you out, you'll help me out. And you just like meet up around the world with people that you've never even met before, but you know, are part of this community. And so we're going to be like the same type of people that you're going to be comfortable being around. Yeah, I it's incredible to build that and and to have that ongoing relationship even if you're not one uh, on one of the trips and that's one of the things that I think is most important and we talk about all the time though is being successful in this lifestyle is surrounding yourself with other people who are pushing you motivating you cheering you on giving you a high five when you do a good job pulling you out of the depths of despair when you're down you know it really is surrounding yourself with with a community that's going to do that for you and when when you share that bond and you've done it together you've been in the trenches or you've at least been on a trip and you know again you don't have to explain yourself it is it really is invaluable one of the things i i thought was pretty cool about your program is the price because that's probably the the question you're going to get all the time where people are listening like okay yes but it sounds great how much does it cost and when i was looking through the trips it actually this is good it surprised me that it was not as expensive as i thought so obviously you've built a margin somewhere. We don't have to dive too deep into the economics of it, but you've done a great job making it affordable for most people. So just go into the pricing a little bit because it seems to be pretty standard no matter where you go. Am I right in that? Or or, or at least in the same range? Yeah, we have standard pricing um, wherever we go. And generally, if you come with us for a month, it's $2,200 US per month. But then if you come for longer, like a three month or a six month package, it goes down, the rate goes down, and you can come for as low as like 1900 US dollars per month. Um, again, those don't have to be taken in a row. So you can say, I know over the course of the next year, I'm going to travel with Hacker Paradise for six months, I'm going to buy this package and pay this amount and go different places. Um, we are, I think, really competitive in the market in terms of the price. Um, we have had a lot of times and a lot of people that come to us and say, you should be charging more. And I think for the service we provide, we could. But for us, it's important to try to keep the price down because there's a lot of different people from different backgrounds and different cultures and communities that uh, maybe can't pay a premium price. And I feel like if we raise it to a premium price, then we're going to get the same set of people that might just be those millennial tech startup people from California, you know, like that's the group that you're going to get. And because diversity is really important to us, it's important to have it at a price point that lots of different people can come. Yeah, I love that. It, I love that you're prioritizing the strength of the community over squeezing an extra 100, maybe 200, whatever dollars out of it. And I think it's really neat that the pricing is standardized. So that, again, could someone come and do it cheaper? Both you and I will know from traveling, like, yeah, you can do it cheaper. But that's that's not the point. The point is you're paying for the convenience, for the community, and everything that goes into it. And are you paying a premium? Yeah, but is it one that is going to 
push away a lot of people. I, I mean, at least in my mind, from my perspective of 2200 to 1900 US a month, you know, for, for housing and for like the co-working and things like that, um, definitely falls in the spot where I think most people could take advantage of it and try it. And then if they think it's worth it, just continue on. And like you said, 75% success rate with like alumni, that they're speaking for you there. Yeah. And that's always my recommendation when someone's like, oh, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe I'll try it or maybe I'll try it for a little bit. And I always say, just try us. Like, even if you hate it, which you, I can guarantee you won't, nobody hates it, but like you've put up with things for two weeks before that you dislike and you've been totally fine. So like you, even if you hate it, you can still put up with it for two weeks, but our people don't hate it. They love it. They come back for more. Most people come and they're all nervous when they come, but then they come and they love it. They love the people. They love the program. And by the end of the trip, they're signing up for the next one. So I say, if you're interested in just trying it out, come give us a try. If you have a remote job, try it now. Your remote job might not last forever. Sometimes life changes. Someone gets sick. You have a relationship or other things at home. Maybe you're having a baby so you can't come to Serbia with us. Things happen, which then will will link you to a certain location for a amount of time. So if you have a remote job, this is the time to try it and to come and do it and not try to plan for something like a year or two from now. Yeah, one of the things you mentioned, which was I didn't know. So you can go shorter than a month then. There are like options for that. Two weeks is our minimum. Okay. Um, I always recommend people come for at least a month. I feel like two weeks, you come in, you get used to the time change, you start to get in a routine and meet everybody, and then it's time to go. And the people that come for two weeks are never ready to go. They always wish they could stay for more. So I always recommend people come for a month or longer. But when some people only have two weeks that they can work remotely, like, or your schedule only allows two weeks, yep, it's better than nothing. Please come and join us. Awesome. Now, you've done a lot of traveling. You've also been in charge of a lot of people traveling and the logistics for them. So I'm sure you've got some stories. What in your mind sticks out as your biggest travel mishap over the years, whether it be with Hacker Paradise and something that happened with, with people on the trip, or it be... A, a solo mishap or something that, that occurred when you were off on your own. What sticks in your mind is like, yep, this is a good story. Going to tell the grandkids and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> There's always like a full range of things, especially when you are with a group, because I'm not just responsible for me. I'm responsible for everybody. So when someone goes sandboarding and cuts their finger 75% of the way off and we have to go to the hospital and help get it sewn back on, like those are things that we kind of take responsibility for. It's part of our community that we're in charge of. There's also just like natural disasters. I think when we were in Korea, we survived two five typhoons a couple years ago. We've been in Lima when like unannounced the water shut off to the city for five days and we weren't prepared and didn't know what to do. And we're there in charge of a group of, I think that was the group of 42. Of course. And it's like, you can't shower, you can't flush the toilet, you have not a lot of water to like wash dishes. It's like, what do you do? You don't realize how much you use water during the day until it's gone. Um, some of like the funny ones are just like stupid mistakes people have made. We were in Bali once and we decided with a group of about 10 of us after the Hacker Paradise trip ended that we were going to go to another island and spend Christmas together. So we planned this beautiful Christmas vacation and everyone was in charge of a different piece of like 
I booked a cruise ship home, someone booked plane tickets out there, someone booked the hotel. So excited, this is going to be great. And then we go to the airport, we hand them our passports to check in, and it's never a good sign when after looking at your information and then looking in the computer, they say, are you sure you have the right airlines? And you're like, yeah, we're sure. Here's our like document with our tickets. And they look at it and the lady was like, you booked these tickets for this date next year. <laughs> the person in charge of the tickets had booked the tickets for the following year. And to his credit, he had like shown it to us and we're like, yep, looks good. Book it. So all of our tickets were booked for the following year and we were just stuck in the airport. Luckily, we were able like to rush over, book new tickets. We made it. We paid a small fee and we got on the plane. The vacation turned out to be terrible. It like rained the whole time. Everything was bad. There was no internet or phone service. It would have been better if we stayed in Bali, to be honest. But uh, it was just this moment of like, what do you mean we booked our tickets a year in advance? Like, how do you make that mistake? Like, how do you even scroll the calendar ahead <laughs> by pushing yeah. 12 times to get there to that date? Like, I don't know how you do that. But somehow he did. I have done a day in advance, but never a year. So if I ever yeah. do a day again, I'll be like, at least I'm not like the guy who booked a year in advance. Yeah. It's nice when someone else messes up a bit. You're like, okay, well, if I mess up like that, at least someone else has made the same mistake that I have. Right, right. What do you have coming up in the pipeline with, with Hacker Paradise, whether it be certain trips like you're excited about or, or scaling up? Like, what is the future hold here? Yeah, so we're trying to do a lot of cool things over here. For us, uh, we've been doing this for about five years. We're like the first work and travel company like this that started. And so for us, Trying new things and being ahead of the curve is really important. So we have our standard like bread and butter trips, which is mostly what we've been talking about this this call. And so we have a bunch of places throughout the rest of the year. We're going to Playa del Carmen. We're going to Budapest and Serbia. We're going to Lisbon, Marrakesh, and Cape Town, and Buenos Aires, and Santiago. So there's a lot of cool places we're going throughout the end of the year. We're also doing a couple different uh, new types of things. So uh, we've done a couple experience trips this year that are shorter. They're usually about one or two weeks, and it's more about the experience of the place with the really cool Hacker Paradise alumni network more than just co-working while we're there. So this year we went to Carnival in Rio for five days and had the time of our lives one of my coworkers is from there, and so she just took us around and showed us all the coolest things, and it was fantastic. We also went to Tel Aviv this year on an experience trip so that people were working about halftime, and then we did a lot of like going to the Dead Sea and going to Jerusalem and kind of packing that time full of stuff. We also are this fall doing a pop-up hacker like co-living house. We're going to do it in Rio this fall, and that is more about being with the community and spending a lot of time with these people, not as much of like doing all this professional development stuff that we do on other trips, but it's more of like the community of being there with like eight people and really settling in and getting to know people really well over a couple months. So there's a bunch of different side projects that we're working on and doing. One of the reasons that we're doing the Serbia trip in the end of the summer 
is it's our trip this year where we're inviting a lot of our alumni to help come join us and shape the future of Hacker Paradise. So when we before, when we've had initiatives that we're thinking about, we kind of post them out in our Slack group to the alumni and see what they think. And we're going to do an event this year where we try to include a lot of people. We have like different initiatives that we thought of, and we let them help pick and guide and shape the new things that we're rolling out for 2020. So there's a lot of different types of things that we're trying to do. We're trying to be innovative and include our community and be kind of like on a trip. We're a community. Like I'm not in charge. We're all in charge. We all have a say. We all are going to help shape the future of Hacker Paradise. Awesome. Love it. I love the uh, I love the branching out to different spheres of like, hey, this is more a travel trip. This is kind of the work. This is more the community, even even tighter community. Um, awesome, awesome stuff. I will get on a Hacker Paradise trip at some point. I, I unfortunately, yeah, August not going to work. Just uh, yeah, a little bit <laughs> of a crimp in the plans there. But hey, maybe I'll be the one with my two kids and wife. Maybe we'll be the next like four person family coming. And uh, hanging out with you guys. Your kids better be ready to present on the cool shit that they're doing or it won't measure up people we've had in the past. So pressure's on. Well, I was going to say, my two-year-old can present on bubble guppies and uh, (laughs) can tell you all about like what an elephant is. And it's a pachyderm, which is a term that I just have heard over and over for the last six months now. Um, Awesome, man. Well, Spencer, thanks so much for joining me today and living out this idea that that when we build communities, we're stronger as a whole than as the individual parts. We push that a ton with our community. You guys are living that out um, with Hacker Paradise. Remind people one more time, if they want to find out about the trips, if they want to get a hold of you, if they want to go on one of these, what's the best place for them to go to do all that? Yeah. Hackerparadise.org is our website, and there you can contact us by email. You can um, apply for a trip and sign up for a chat to chat with me or one of the other employees here. Um, we are offering as well a discount for people who have listened to this podcast. And awesome. Who have I didn't even know. Day. Surprise, guys. I know. Here's our plug. So, yeah, you get $100 off if you mention the podcast either in your application or when you chat with us to come on a trip. So. Um, yeah, check us out. If you have any questions, we I always say we're um, we're not salespeople, we're real people. So just reach out to us and message us through the website and we'll give you a really clear, transparent answer and let you know what's going on. And then if it's the right fit, come and join us. Yeah. And if you guys are interested, shoot me a tweet or send me an email as well. I'd love to hear of some EPOP people heading to Hacker Paradise. Maybe there'll be even a group of you going. Uh, So let me know. Keep me in the loop as well, because it's always great to hear people who have heard this and said, hey, this motivated me to go and check it out as well. So you can get a hold of me as well. And yeah, use use their discount code. Just say you came from the Extra Pack of Peanuts podcast. And uh, yeah, you put a hundred more dollars in your pocket for uh, for even a better time. So we will link everything up in the show notes. You can get that extrapackofpeanuts.com slash shows. Spencer, thanks again for tuning in. Uh, coming in from a, quote, not a jail cell uh, in Seoul, South Korea, <laughs> just a co-working space. Um, appreciate it, man. I appreciate your time and, and for shedding some light on just the cool project that you guys have going over there at Hacker Paradise. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, and I hope to see you out on the road sometime soon. Awesome. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today for your continued support that makes us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris
With an average of less than six hours per sleep per night, the poor residents of Seoul, South Korea are tied as the most sleep-deprived people in the world with this other Asian city. If you guess Tokyo, then you're right. <laughs> 